0: Welcome, everybody, to Gameology Podcast. This is episode 36. We're looking at console generations. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Falvey.
1: And I'm Attila Gabriel-Bringitsky.
0: All right, Attila, I had originally brought this up because I was thinking about the Xbox Scorpio Mm -hmm. and the possibility that we might see console generations at least how we traditionally have seen them ever since the original Nintendo and and before that. Mm -hmm. Um, We could see that be killed off and possibly consoles might go the way of pc upgrades and not so much in, in a way of pc upgrades but more like the way that apple and samsung have done with their phones where they release um, upgrades a lot quicker mm-hmm. i don't think we're going to be seeing a new, a new xbox every six months but i think we're, we could i think they're sort of testing the waters where they would much rather be putting out a new console every couple of years rather than waiting a minimum five years yeah,
1: I mean, it's, um, it's an interesting analogy, but there's a, a, a couple of key differences between the markets, right? Like, when you're talking about uh, consoles, the whole appeal of a console has always been standardization of hardware. Like, everyone has the exact same box, and it's much easier to control for variables and make sure that everyone gets a consistent play experience. Um, if you run into a situation in a game where there's a lot of enemies on screen, it's going to lag on everyone's machine, so they need to optimize that. If you mm-hmm. have, um, you know, the the like the like graphics hardware, it's not going to, like, bug out or do something weird and make the character's hair fly all over the screen because they're using some kind of different rendering effect on the hair that works well on one graphics card versus another. Um, like. That's something that's a consistent problem with that PC games face, and it's only the like super high-end developers that can tackle true like getting everything to run smoothly on multiple processor models and uh, graphics hardware, and there's like there's so much variability that makes the PC market kind of daunting, or at least um, daunting to do well. Um, in contrast to that, with consoles. We've got um, the idea that most console manufacturers are selling these machines either without an intention for profit or at a loss. Sometimes um, mm-hmm. that makes it very different from how the phones are being sold. Those are definitely devices being sold at profit, unless you're getting them as part of a uh, like a three-year or two-year contract, which just sort of you know underscores how if you can get a f- a f- quote-unquote free phone on a two-year contract what is the phone actually worth how much are you paying for your phone plan if you're able to get like a a free iphone you're probably paying a lot per month for your um, phone service and by contrast the only way console manufacturers stand to make back their money on these consoles is with sales of games and at that they only stand to make uh, at most, like, 30% off of each sold game. Um, so it would be a bit ridiculous to assume that they were going to go to a sort of yearly um, release, because no one's going to want to buy a $500 box that they can't get subsidized in some way. Um, you know, the the main, main appeal with getting a new phone every couple years is, well, it's free and I'm paying for my phone service anyway, so cool, whatever, but that same sort of thing does not exist on the um, console side of things unless Microsoft started charging even more for Xbox Live or something like that, but I just don't foresee that happening. Um, I think it was very interesting that at the advent of this console cycle, uh, Microsoft says, like, oh, this is going to be the a 10-year console, and then it's like, well, when we said 10-year, we meant that the Xbox One platform would be a 10-year cycle. But in reality, the you're going to get a couple different boxes between now and that 10-year window. So it's an interesting guarantee that Microsoft is kind of putting pressure on anyone who develops for the Xbox One quote-unquote platform to ensure that it can still run on the original Xbox One hardware, which not to be confused with the original Xbox. Thanks, Microsoft. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the the idea that it has to run on that sort of minimum spec, and then there's this sort of slightly higher spec of the Xbox One S, and then, is that even what they call it? I don't even know. Um, and then there's the promise of the Scorpio in, I think, a year or so, which is going to be the quote-unquote like, VR-capable uh, console. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's very much the sort of PC side of things uh, mentality in terms of like everyone has to be like everyone's going to have a slightly different experience based on what box they have, but everyone's going to be able to play it just at different resolutions or different particle counts or different you know, levels of effects running on the screen, which is definitely getting away from what console the, the whole appeal of what made consoles so great in the first place.
0: Yeah, I think that best case scenario, um, whether you're playing on you can play the same game on the bare bones Xbox, the one that they just they sold the dream of, oh yeah, this ten year box, this is gonna yeah. be our most powerful thing, uh, until we make these two other ones. So their best case scenario is that I could play on the vanilla version a a smooth running, locked, you know, frame like thirty to sixty FPS mm-hmm. game. That maybe runs at like 900p. Yeah, and that someone who has the luxury box can enjoy 4k. And I mean, that's where you, that's really just where you want to see the difference. You don't want to see one version have a locked uh, locked frame rate because it's. I mean, game video gaming is all about uh, gameplay, and if you don't mm-hmm. have a locked frame rate, the game becomes uh, sort of unplayable in a way. I think people will put up with downgraded textures and look as long as the game runs really smooth. Um but I think worst case scenario is that you're just introducing a lot more variables and that you're going to I mean look you can't play the same games on the previous generation consoles forever eventually uh you have to eventually upgrade if you want to play the newest games but I feel like when you start getting into this sort of leapfrogging of technology I think you're going to age out the the lower tier of the consoles sooner and this is an interesting thing is that while, PlayStation was very upfront that everything is going to run on the PS4 Pro, that would run on the PS4, and the PS4 vanilla could play both. Mm. Although the the Pro is nowhere near the giant leap that the Scorpio is. But Microsoft has said they're going to leave it up to the publishers and developers whether they want to develop Scorpio exclusives. So we could see if if Scorpio sells enough, and a publisher thinks that there's enough of a install base with the Scorpio that we might see games that the regular Xbox and even the Xbox one S owners can't buy and can't play.
1: If, uh, if Microsoft had a better hold in the industry in terms of, um, like user base, they, we might have to worry about that sort of thing. But right now, as much as Microsoft has said, Oh, we're going to leave it up to publishers. If they want to publish to Scorpio exclusively, they're saying that so that if some developer, um, decides to do that that they're not held accountable but in reality i don't think any publisher is going to look at the um minimal fraction that is going to be the people who purchase the scorpio as compared to people who are like well screw you i already paid 500 bucks for my xbox one three years ago or four years ago and i'm going to hold on to that box and i'm not upgrading to the scorpio um just because you start whenever you start like sub-fragmenting your user base in terms of the fact that like um the playstation right now is still outselling the xbox platform um microsoft like no no publisher or at least no major publisher is going to see it to be worthwhile to only sell to a subset of a smaller percentage of consoles um you know, ideally, that's why most publishers want to uh, publish cross-platform. They want the ability to uh, release experiences that are on uh, parity for both consoles. And I think we're at a sort of weird space right now where the PS4 Pro is the most powerful uh, home console. Then sort of underneath that, we've got the... Um, I-, I feel like Xbox One S and original PS4 are kind of around parity Someone might correct me and say that the original PS Four is still more powerful. I'm not entirely sure. It sort of comes down to how they choose to use the the utilize the RAM and what the uh, specifics of the hardware are. But I just get that sort of feeling that those two are on the same level, and then you've got the Xbox One at the lowest tier, and then Nintendo just doing their own thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> as they tend to do.
0: Well, I think that when you're you're looking at how many more people are going to buy the Scorpio because you're right. Publishers aren't going to put out an exclusive to a system that doesn't have uh, that doesn't have an install base. And now, right right at this moment, we've got the PlayStation 4 at about 53 million, I believe. The Xbox One is trailing behind substantially. Uh, but it's you're thinking how much more room can they grow? I mean, the original NES sold 61 million. The PlayStation 3 sold uh, 83 million, but that had a very very long generation cycle because it came out in the beginning of the uh, of the new recession, so people yeah, weren't that... interested in buying in buying new consoles. So I think that it depends on the pricing. If the Scorpio comes out and it is near fifty dollars or the same price, like fifty dollars more or the same price as the original Xbox is today if it comes out around like $400 all those people that every year are buying a new console and their decision is playstation side or xbox side why mm-hmm. wouldn't they buy a pro and why wouldn't they buy a scorpio so over the next couple years you might see 10 million people owning a scorpio maybe less maybe more i don't think that that's enough to put out an exclusive though so i think the main crux of why this is even being done other than say f- running 4k um mm-hmm. content is uh, vr because VR is this sort of jump that we've never seen before where the same games that are running on a console all of a sudden need to be rendering two images a few inches from your eyes, and they need to be locked at a very high frame rate. So this yeah. makes sense for VR, but in, but again, that's like a very niche market. I just, I don't really see what their game plan is other than trying to just say we have the most powerful hardware, but what is the actual long-range plan here?
1: Yeah, I... I... I feel like people are jumping on the VR bandwagon. Um, you know, specifically the uh, having tried the uh, HTC and the sort of the the way it d- tracks movement. I can't imagine using anything less than that. Like using an Oculus without the full feature hand and um, head tracking. I just it doesn't feel like it's worth doing VR unless you take advantage of that full spec, and that means having the full setup, and, you know, like the the PlayStation VR has uh, met with like, not like middling reviews, I'd say, at best. You know, people, my, my what I've seen of it, it doesn't look um, all that great. I haven't tried it personally. I don't really want to. Um... And, you know, at this point, VR is still too expensive to... Um, like, getting a VR-ready machine, I know it can probably get something for around $1,000, but then you need to pay for the headset on top of that. What Microsoft and Sony are trying to do is offer a sort of cheaper, like, entry-level VR sort of experience, but I don't know if VR is something you can do entry-level. Like, if you look at what the... Um, the VR games that are available today are already doing like just because of how resource intensive it is to run games at that high frame rate at that high resolution. And then as you said, double the images um, rendering two separate viewports, you have to, it takes up so much power to do that, that you're already getting games that are super simplified like job simulator and they're great for that level of aesthetic, but can you go lower than that? Not really. Not without losing a lot in terms of the, um, either the, the tracking capabilities or the frame rate or something else is going to make the experience actively, like, make people sick or just, yeah, it, it's, it's tricky to try and bridge that gap. And if Microsoft is sort of going all in on the Oculus, I'm not exactly super excited about that because my, you know, I guess my, my heart and mind have been, uh, sold to the Vive when I got to try it. So, uh, I don't know. I I guess I sort of have to look towards the PC side of things if I want to get into the VR space, and I'm not sure if that's something a console is ever going to be able to compete with unless they come up with something actually, uh, like another revision of the Oculus or another revision of the Vive. Who knows? Mm -hmm.
0: You know, and and if we look at uh, previous console generations in the more traditional style, one thing that we might see uh, that we might lose is that... I like watching the evolution of what you can do on a singular console. If you look at mm-hmm. the difference between Super Mario Brothers one to three is such a such a large leap. If you look at the Donkey Kong Country series, mm-hmm. uh, the last one coming out in 1996 on the Super Nintendo when 3 uh, d gaming had come in not in full force, but it had started to take over the mainstream, um, the last of us near the end of the PS three cycle. If you look at Zelda games, I mean, I'm enjoying the heck out of Breath of the Wild and the Wii U, because the Wii U was cut very, very short. Skyward Sword came out late in the Wii in the Wii's life cycle. Twilight Princess also playable on the GameCube uh, late into its, so, I mean, it mm. was also available on the Wii. And yeah. Majora's Mask was a game that came out later in the N64's lifespan. And, and these are all these are all great games that. Um, might not have existed in that sense. They might have been better. They might have been worse. They might not even have existed. But it's uh, it's something that we're we, we're going to be losing if we switch to more of this this PC style of uh, evolution.
1: Yeah, I mean that's you know it, it's not the sort of primary concern of like um, I, I like it more than just what you can achieve from the beginning to the end of a single console cycle is the fact that the more developers use a single piece of hardware, the more they can get out of it. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's more, I think, what you mean in terms of, like, the comparison between the launch title and the sort of end of console cycle. Um, If they keep on putting out new hardware and developers never get the chance to develop these new tricks, well, you know, you're going to put out a hardware revision and the games are going to have to start using that new hardware and it's not even going to look like without those op- basically um I know that the the better hardware means that you don't have to optimize as much um but you without the sort of pressure for optimization it feels like developers almost don't have to worry because like oh we'll just put out a new box that's more powerful we can just you know Uh, rely on that to push the industry forward rather than interesting tools being developed to tackle specific problems. And it's like, are those problems worth being... Like, if we can just override things with brute force, is it worth just ignoring the, like, super granular, like, optimization tricks that have been developed over the years? Or, I don't know, it's... uh, I think that... The, can, you know, giving proper consideration um, consi- consideration to optimization, mm-hmm. I've merged my words there, um, is what happens when you get incredible tricks like when the uh, game. Um, I remember hearing that Satoru Iwata himself helped optimize the Pokemon Gold and Silver games to the point where they could nearly like double the size of those games, um, and those kinds of incredible stories are not necessarily going to come up as much if developers aren't being forced to optimize as much. Um, I mean, optimization is going to happen one way or another, because especially as newer console um, newer consoles within the same generation start to come out, you're going to have to do these kind of optimizations, so that a game can run on the original Xbox One, the Xbox One S, and the Scorpio, and have anywhere close to a similar playstyle between the three of them in terms of matching the frame rate and that kind of stuff. So they're going to have to optimize in that sense, but not necessarily in the sense of getting the most out of the hardware. I don't know. It's. Um, I think there's definitely going to be something lost, something gained. It's. Uh, mm-hmm. It just remains to be seen whether or not this is ultimately the best for the gaming industry, or whether this is just a uh, sort of desperate bid to remain relevant.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, you went exactly with, with what I was thinking, is that if, if they are relying just on the hardware of the optimization, and I'm a complete layman when it comes to this, I think that it might be easier for them to still put out the, the visuals that they want on the high end. But like you said, what where does that leave the vanilla console? When does Microsoft and Sony decide, okay, well, now it's just going to be – is it going to be like – um with Apple, where they're like, well, this app is only supported by the last three phones or the last (laughs) three iOSs. You know, when do people know when to move on? You don't have that sort of clear cut. And I think that that is such a strength of consoles is that you have everybody on the same team and then everybody moves at the same time. And it just, you're going to lose that. And I, I don't think that the benefits of having slightly better looking games really is that important in terms of the... Not just the sense of community you can have with your with your install base, but um, just the power that you know when the ps2 had a huge install base, um, you could you saw it, like very experimental type games come out on it and it's the same thing with Steam and with PC is that because they know so many people can play this especially you know the maybe the games that don't require a lot of graphical power mm-hmm. you see more experimental games come out because they know that so many people can buy them so i mean who knows what's going to happen maybe in your ps4 in in 8 years you'll or 10 years you'll still be able to play some sort of kickstarted retro type game and that'll still work there but it just seems like um from a from an infrastructure standpoint and for somebody who has to figure out How many ports do we need (laughs) to put this on? What is that going to look like in 10 years? Is this going to be, well, you can play it under the x86 architecture as far back as this? I mean, and then what is the difference between the the console and the PC? And it just, to me, it seems like a mess. I might just sound like a cranky old man who doesn't like change, (laughs) but I think consoles had a very, very good thing going. And I think that this is, in a way, insulting that the PS4 and the Xbox have sold very, very well and they're rewarding their install base by starting to fracture away from them.
1: Yeah, I I think ultimately it's going to mean that, um, you know, as as with a lot of things, AAA games are going to just become even more expensive to produce and have to sell even more units, which means, you know, um, not as much in the way of experimentation. Um, People who are much more concerned that, like, oh, geez, I don't know if we can take risks or do anything interesting because we need our game to sell. 50 million units to break even or something insane like that. And then, you know, by contrast, you're going to have the uh, indie side of things where, again, developing for more than one of these platforms, (laughs) you know, most most development teams are not even able to afford more than one developer kit. Like, they're going to buy one machine, whichever happens to have the largest install base. Maybe the newest one, just because... Again, that sort of thing of like, we don't have to worry about optimization because this thing is just so damn powerful that it's going to be able to run the game. So on that side, you're going to get um, just a, a really growing divide between the sort of behemoth, like massive AAA games where they've thrown so much money at this and they have like this crazy plan for how this game is not only going to sell its like basic amount, but sort of Final Fantasy 15 style, like all the... Uh, extra content content they sort of have to sell along with the core game in order to become soluble. And by contrast, you're going to have the indie developers um, creating games for these platforms that might only come out on a single iteration of a console. And that's sort of back to what Microsoft said about not forcing them to develop for each platform because maybe the development team is just so small that it's not even a matter of being able to optimize for the earlier hardware is just the fact that they can't even afford a three separate dev kits for one platform, just because right. those are the different specs. So it's uh, really hard to speculate about how these kind of things are going to go. But I think there's going to be certain trends that are just, you know, I can't foresee it going any other way except for this. Like the 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 gap between indies and AAA games is growing, uh, no matter what. But at the same time, the scope of what indie developers are able to achieve is growing at the same time, so, I don't know, it's just, uh, I'm not as much of an analyst, I feel like I've been saying I don't know a lot, but it's it's true that there's just a lot of stuff influencing the game development world right now, and um, it's hard to sort of pinpoint exactly how this is going to affect the games you play, so... I guess at the end of the day, it's always nice to be able to fire up your Nintendo and know that there's good com- good games to be found on that, no matter what.
0: Well, there you go. That sounds like a wrap-up.
1: Yeah, as much of one as I think we're going to get.
0: Well, you can find me on Twitter at GameThinkTalk, and Atila?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Bluish Green Pro or check out my website, BluishGreenProductions.com.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you know somebody that might enjoy it, please share it. It makes a big difference. Have a good one, and thank you for listening. Bye-bye.